slaughter. But like, I, I am going to be fighting a cop, so I'm just trying to trying to counteract that. Well, amen. Well, let's get started. Let's go ahead and go to Acts chapter 2. Um, as you guys are turning there, like I said last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, right? The Great Commission. And we kind of broke it down. And, and my hope was that we can look at um, life not as evangelism, then discipleship, but a continual discipling with the gospel at its center, right? We preach the gospel to save those that are not. And we preach the gospel to each other to sanctify, right? To a very churchy word, which means to put in right order, which means Christ will, will use that message in our life to transform us more and more into like him, and that we have that responsibility to bring that to one another, right? So discipleship is not, boom, you're a disciple, and then boom, you're not. It's like this continual process. And so yeah. what we're going to do in Acts chapter 2 is we're going to take Matthew 28, verse 18, and we're going to zoom in on that. In Acts 2, we see Peter as he uh, preaches the first gospel message, and, and as he, he starts living out the Great Commission for the first time, we're going to zoom in here on Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 22, and we're going to just start uh, pulling apart where we see the Great Commission here, uh, and, and my hope is that we can come to a better understanding of how we preach the gospel to the not yet Christians, and how we preach it to the already, right? We're just going to okay. kind of pull that part here in Acts chapter 2. So starting in verse 22, it says, Fellow Israelite, Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which, you, which uh, God did among you through him as you yourselves know. All right, so, so this is, we're, we're coming in kind of halfway here. So let me, let me fill in some gaps. Um, the, the apostles had been waiting in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Jesus says, hey, wait there. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you my spirit. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be crazy. And so the like, spirit, like, like tongues of fire, sets on them. They get all these miraculous gifts. And this is at the Feast of Pentecost. And so what had happened was uh, Jews from all over the, the known world at the time traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So all, like the Bible would say, all nations under heaven are here in Jerusalem at this moment. And so what Peter does, he, he stands up at this time because they're speaking in all these kind of different languages to preach to the people there. And so people are kind of freaking out. Like it's in the morning and they're like, are these guys drunk or something? Like that's legitimately what they thought was going on because like just spirits move and working all right and so Peter stands up and check this out like to a crowd of at least 3,000 because we know 3,000 were baptized at the end of this which means depending on how you count people say upwards to about 6,000 people were here which depending how you count it so Peter right uh, now not being an orator right not being trained as a public speaker walking three years with Jesus and before that being a fisherman stands up before thousands of people Right, isn't that pretty crazy? And the things that we can get intimidated by. I mean, but you know, yeah. Peter stood up, thousands of people, right? And he, he starts breaking this down, all right? And, and so, where we're stepping in right now, he's telling that group of thousands of people, listen, this guy, this Jesus, right? This is who we're preaching about, this is who we're talking about. This is the culmination of, uh, of everything that, that God has been doing in our lives and promising up to now, right? And so what, what Peter's doing right now is he is he's, um, preaching to people, right? He's, he's explaining to them the gospel message. And the first thing he tells them is, you know this Jesus, right? These, these miraculous and wondrous signs that you know that he accredited to him. This is how we know it's Jesus, all right? So, so the first thing that I see Peter doing here is he's trying to tell them, look, you know this. Right? This is what's been promised. 
I talked about it last week, but God showed me discipleship in the Bible, and I wasn't a faithful guy. But, but I saw the way Jesus lived, and I was like, dang it, that's pretty cool. I like that, right? I, I like what I see, even though I didn't have faith. Like, my heart was wanting to be a disciple of Jesus. My, my heart wanted what Jesus had, and I fully believe that everybody wants to be a disciple of Jesus. They just don't know that that's what they want, right? So the first thing Peter does is like, listen, this is it. That Jesus, this is that guy. He points to their experience, right, and to their knowledge of him. In verse 23, it says, this man was handed over to you um, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So, so two major things happening in one verse right here. He says, this was God's plan. Like the cross was God's plan. This is not the only time the Bible says this. The cross has been the plan since God planned the uh, creation, right? And so I think we can get caught in this little, little trap or you know, maybe we don't say it, but we think it like cross was kind of backup plan. Right, like God saw how how messed up things were getting with, with the nation of Israel. It was like, you know what, Jesus, we need you down there. Why don't you get down there? It's kind of like, no, this had always been the plan. And here's why this is huge. There's a huge implication to this always being the plan. That means God planned for eternity that you would never be good enough. Like, <laughs> let that wash over you for a second. Since the beginning of creation, God ordained it that you would not be good enough to satisfy the law that He made for you. Right? In the Old Testament, God planned that you wouldn't be able to match up. So in the beginning, he planned for there to be a way. There'd be a way. Right? Cross being the way. So this is huge because Peter is saying, this is the Jesus. He's pointing to the experience you know about him. And he's saying, look, this has always been the plan. Right? And we need to hear this. Right? We need to know this. We need to be able to preach this to ourselves and to others. Listen, you're not good enough to fulfill the law. You know all the expectations in the Bible? You can't do them all, right? And that's the whole point of the cross. Right? As we preach the gospel to others, as we preach it to ourselves, we have to keep that central in how we teach and how we work through things. Now, there are commandments in the, in the New Testament, and rightly so. There's commandments that we should, let's do them, right? But we've got to know that, that we're not, like, stacking up favors for God. Right? I think we can just be caught in this loop that, that we think his affections for us are predicated on how we're doing today, right? That if we, like, and that's just not how it works, right? And then we can get caught in this loop where we're, like, trying to prove our righteousness. Now, no, don't get me wrong. The scriptures that say, look, if you're saved, your, your acts are going to show it. But what's going on there is that there's this heart that's established when we hear the gospel preached and we hear that, man, we can't stack up and that there's a guy who died for us and that's the whole point of the cross. What happens when that is preached and when it's received is it creates in a heart that's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Like there's a God that, I, that, I've, that I've transgressed, that, that I have done wrong against? Yes, it's true. What do I do? Right, well, we're going to get to that, so don't ask me. That's coming later, right? Hang in there. Um, it's the second huge implication in this scripture, in this verse right here. So the first one being, God planned it. The second one being, Peter says, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. This is actually the first out of two times he's going to tell this crowd this. Now, here's the main problem that just logically I start seeing in my head. These guys weren't there at the crucifixion. 
These guys had come from all over, right? They were all different nations. There's no way they were all there when Jesus was crucified, right? So, so it's amazing what Peter's doing here. And once again, implications are huge. He's saying, you crucified him, right? And so I would be in that crowd and be like, what do you mean? <laughs> I, wasn't even, I wasn't even here. I didn't vote for that. I didn't want that. But he puts a personal responsibility on all of us, right? And that, that transcends into today because here's the thing. We crucified him because we sinned, right? If you were the last person on earth, Jesus would still have to die. Would still have to die because of your sin. Our sin implicates us in the necessity of the cross. So, by our sinful nature, which we are by <coughs> default, we prove that a crucifixion was necessary. So, like we crucified. So, there's this personal responsibility each and every one of us has to take for that. Well, you know, we can't take that off of us. We got to own that and realize, okay, I put you to some cross. Right? So it's huge because he personally implicates them in Jesus' death. Right? In verse 24, but, right, one of the best buts ever, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Right? So he says, yes, you crucified him, you put him to death, but look, he was raised to a new life. Right? And then he, he will kind of go on here. He's, he's preaching about David and how this is always the plan and how David knew it, right? And, um, but, but let's move on into verse 36. In verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, here it is again, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, now check this out because I talked about when the gospel is preached and when it's received, you're going to see the kind of heart it creates. Um, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So when the gospel is preached, in, in your heart you, you feel like, man, I've, I've done something here. Like I get my sin and I get what's going on and I get that I've transgressed the God of the universe, right? And, and you hear that, the, the response that's indicative of a heart for God is like, what do I do? Right? And that can manifest in different ways. But I'm just saying, if you, when you hear the gospel preached, especially if you haven't made him Lord of your life yet, and you hear a little tugging like, dang it, I've done something here. What do I do about this? Listen to me. That's God calling your heart to believe in him. And that's amazing. That's huge. Don't take that lightly. Right? Now, if you have made Jesus Lord, right, and if you've, been, if you've repented and you've been baptized, you're like, man, I'm in. And, and, and you're, you're walking through life, and you, and you feel this tug when this is preached, and you feel this, man, that's, that's good, man, because we can't get numb to that. And it's easy, if we're honest, it's easy to get numb to the cross, right? But we want to be in a place where, okay, we are continually preaching the gospel to even the disciples. But that's how we work, and that's how we move with one another, to sanctify, as we talked about last week. We preach it to the not yet Christians, and we continue to preach it to the already and that's the continual process of discipleship. So we call others to repentance. Why? Because the cross. We call each other to repentance. How are we allowed to repent without being like killed on the spot by God? Because the cross. So, so in place of you, right, when God looks at you, and when he's looking at your sin, he doesn't see you. He sees a beaten and bloody Jesus on the cross, and it's like, you're clean. You're good, right? And so here's the temptation here, because we can take that and we can run with it. We can be like, all right, yeah, cross, great forgiveness, good. And, and if, 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 you could, if you take that and run with it and don't take sin seriously because of it, then I just don't know. Like, Paul would preach against that so much. He would say, if you're dead to sin, how can you live in it any longer? Right, calling us to um, 
take it seriously. We still have to take sin, sin seriously. And I think it's when we do, we get how awesome the cross was. Right. We get just how amazing that opportunity yes. is. Yep. Right? And so what, what I would hope for us is we can, like, assume a cleanliness identity in Christ. But I don't want us to just assume it. I want us to experience it. I want us to be impacted by that cross. I want us to be impacted by that experience and live it out. That I get to live a clean life because Jesus died for me in the way that that empowers and moves us. So I'm just going to break this down real quick, right? So the Great Commission said, go make disciples of all nations, right? We see this played out here because Peter is preaching the gospel to all nations, right? And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So verse 38 here, we're going to see Peter play that. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom our Lord God will call. So, so here's what Peter just did. It's like, all right, if you're feeling that tug, right, if, if, if the gospel's been preached to you and you're like, okay, I've done something here, what's my next step? Right? If he's done, he says, this is what you do. You repent which is a really churchy word, which in the Greek means metanoia, which means like this total mind shift, like a total realignment of priorities. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Tell me what I do. I'm just open. Let me, let me do something with this. He says, okay, here's what you can do. You repent and you be baptized, right? And this gets forgiveness of sins, and this gets the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And I don't want to go too into the baptism today, but, but man, the... Romans, uh, Romans 6 would say this is where we participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through faith in the baptism. That's we get to die to our old selves, right? So that's kind of what's going on there. We die to our old selves. We get forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But, but man, that's a, I just see Peter here elongating the Great yeah. Commission, right? Yes. He's, he's preaching to the nations. And what is he preaching to them? The gospel. We can't forget that. Like we have our study series. We can use that. I think it's great. But we can't forget what's at the center of every scripture is Jesus. We have to continually point people in that direction. No matter how we're studying with them, boom. Look, man, you're not good enough. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Right? If you're working through the scriptures, you're looking for faith in God, if you feel like you're not good enough for this, that's the whole point. And if you get that, I just say, man, I think you're ready. <laughs> I just think you're ready to go ahead and go after this. Now, now, if you've been a disciple for a while, okay, and as you're going through life and you feel staleness and you feel a the best thing I can tell you to do is pray that God convicts your heart right like really the best thing I can do is tell you God I'm not feeling convicted by your cross anymore help me help me feel convicted enlightened like when you read the Bible pray that the spirit just illuminates the pages back it just jumps off the page at you and gets you because what did Jesus tell us in John 16 the spirit's job is to convict the world as far as sin and righteousness we can't forget that that's the spirit's job so if you're not feeling convicted, pray to feel convicted. Pray to feel that energy and that passion, right? Um, anyway, moving on, right? In verse 40, he said, With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man, I can't even imagine the logistical nightmare it would be to have 3,000 more people put in this room in one day. I can't even imagine what that would be like, right? So something amazing happens here. We see the Great Commission played out. So we take Matthew 28, 18, boom, micro, uh, micro, uh, magnify inward into it. 
He's preaching the gospel to the nations. He's preaching baptism. He's he's showing them in the gospel their personal responsibility in the death of Jesus. He's showing them in the gospel this has always been the plan, which points to the good news that, man, you were never going to have it anyway, and God's trying to give you a way with it. Right? He's trying to express this. So he's pre- this is the great commission played out, which is why I like to call it the gospel commission. And, and so then the next part being teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Right? So if we were going to zoom in onto what that looks like, we'd verse 42. So let's go ahead and read that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Right? So just right there, four things. You see four things they devoted themselves to. The fellowship. The apostles' teaching, which was Jesus' teaching, which is God's teaching, right? But the, the apostles' teaching to breaking of bread. How awesome is that, right? Sharing meals with one another. Right. I, I think that's one of the most downplayed gifts that you can give to somebody is just sharing a meal with them. Yeah. Just opening up your house. I can't tell you how awesome it is to be able to go to the Shirley's. They're just like, yeah, here's food. Well, something else, there's the fridge. But I think we downplay the importance of an open fringe, amen? Yeah. The willingness to open our lives to one another, just give, right? I, I got lost on that one. Let me, let, me go, let me go to the other ones, right? So the apostles' teaching. So not only do we devote ourselves to this as we're making Jesus Lord, but we continually do so, right? And, and man, I, I can't, I cannot understate the value of knowing your Bible as, as an individual. This Right here, I'm look, I'm glad you're here, but this is not meant to mm-hmm. fill you up. Now. Mm-hmm. This is like, okay, right. we got an hour and a half. We're going to speak right. some life here. We're going to get everybody together and unify. Yep. But if you're not having your own passionate, individual, quiet times on a daily basis, then you know, it's just, it's, right. then you're not having a relationship with God. Right. And I think about, you know, my wife, the closest relationship I have, right? If there's not daily communication, this thing starts falling apart. My right, it starts falling apart, right? She says, she says, yeah, right? Yes, it starts falling apart. Um, like, I can't, can't, can't overstate how important it is that each and every one of you have a passionate individual relationship with God, that you're reading his word and you're devoting yourself to it, all right? So that's huge. Um, to, to fellowship, man, family, being together. This is the great commission played out. It's these four things. Isn't that mind-blowing? And then here's a big one, prayer. Wow. If I could ask the question, what would it look like to be devoted to prayer as a church, together? It's great if you pray every day, do it. But man, what are we doing to be devoted together as a church? I don't know, maybe it's on the leadership. Maybe we haven't done enough to orchestrate. I don't know. But I would love for us to dream here about these four things. Because these four things is huge. This is what it means to play and live out the gospel, right? It's received individually, but it's played out in a community. We can't live out the Bible if we're isolated. And, you know, we can't live out the Bible. Like, we need to be tight. Like, the body, get this, the, the Bible describes the church as a gift from God. Right? Is it a gift? I can't tell you how much that gift means to me. And it may, maybe some of other, maybe uh, some of you out there can relate, but I was never super close to my personal family, right? My immediate family. That's something I've tried to repair since I've been a Christian. But man, I can't tell you how amazing it is to feel like I've got family, right? To devote ourselves to that. So I want us to do some dreaming here because last week was all about, okay, let's commit to this discipleship culture. And by discipleship, I mean gospel-centered discipleship as we preach the gospel, saving the saints of God. We commit ourselves to that culture. Today, this is honestly, I think today's a big dreaming Sunday. 
I want you guys to hear these things and dream and think to yourself, what would it look like for me to be totally devoted to these four things? I would even ask yourself, what am I not devoted to out of those four things right now? All right? And, and, and how would my life, what, would I, what do I need to do? Like, how would my life look differently if I was? What, what are some of the things that you could just dream about? What do you want God to see do in your life if you were devoted to these four things? I, I think, man, this is just a big dreaming time because I'll be honest with you, I think we're at a gear shifting time in our church. Kelly and Ben and I are all on the same page here. I think we're shifting a gear right now. And I want us to be able to catch that gear. You guys know what clutch means, right? I want us to be able to catch it and jump into the next gear. But, but I, to do that, I want us all to dream. What would, it, what would it be like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching individually and communally? What would it look like to be devoted to fellowship individually and community, uh, communally? What would it look like to be devoted to breaking bread, to prayer individually and communally? Dream about this. Have, have passion and dreams for this, right? So keep going on verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily as those who had those who were being saved. So as they devoted themselves to these four things, they didn't neglect to keep pulling other people in on that. Right? So we take those four things, right? Fellowship, prayer, breaking of bread, teaching, and we continually just pull people in our life into that. Now here's where I think, man, I, I need to do some work in this area, right? I just would be happy to do this work with you guys as the church. But figuring out what your sphere of influence is. Now here's what I mean. We all got grocery stores we go to, restaurants we frequent, schools, whatever, if your parents are right, picking up, dropping off, relationships. We all have this sphere of influence that's uniquely yours, given to you by God. We've preached on this a ton of times, right? The Acts tells us we've been uniquely placed to call others to God and to be called to God. What is that sphere? And what are you doing to pull that sphere closer and closer to you as you continually walk with God? I mean, just have visions here, man. Have dreams. Think about this. Um, okay, let's move on into Ephesians chapter 1. I want to get a, a, little, uh, a little theological with this, a little deep with this, right? In, in hopes that I can kind of communicate the importance here of what we're talking about. So we just looked at Acts 2 where we zoomed in on, on the, the Great Commission, Right, Peter preached to the nations, preached the gospel, and then we saw how we do it, we broke that down, right? And then we saw how it played out continually as they taught everybody to obey Jesus' teachings. But I wanna I wanna show you why I think this is so huge, why it's I think it's so matters that we really get into this. Um, Ephesians chapter one, we can start, you know, let's go short, let's start in verse 22. It said, and God placed all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. So, so the church is his body, right? And, and check this out. This is what he says about the church. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So man, Christ head over everything. The church is body. And it's like his body that fills everything in every way. I think we're, we're all about, man, how, how powerful Jesus is. I just think sometimes we don't embrace the, the really instrument he's chosen to get work done by. Right? Like we're, we're the ones that get out there, right? By the power of his spirit, on the foundation of his gospel, but we are the physical instruments he uses to impact people. 
Yeah, now, the, now this is huge right here, because this can either be super daunting, like, wait, what, right? But Corinthians would corroborate this. We're given the ministry of reconciliation, right. which means we have the job to administer oneness between the world and Christ, right? By preaching the gospel and the power of the Spirit, right? And, and so I want us to totally embrace this one. Like, the church is going to be the one that gets this done. By the power of the Spirit on the foundation of his gospel, but we're the instruments, right? We're the ones that are sent out throughout the world to fill everything in every way. Why fill? Because there are, I mean, there's gaps, man. Man, we've talked about this, right? There's, there's a hole in every single person's heart when you're crying out for something, you're wanting something. And the Bible tells us Christ is the answer to that. And we all have things to be prayed for. So then it becomes, we're the instruments that go fill those gaps in people's lives and people's hearts. So let's let's do this, right? Let, let's, go to, let's go to Romans real quick. Okay. Romans chapter 12. And I'm keeping my word. This won't be long today. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. It says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesied, then, sorry, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And if it, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it dignantly. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. This, this is just one scripture where God is telling us, look, we've all got different ways we, we serve. We all have different ways that we plug into the body. We've all got different ways that we influence the world around us. And so I don't want to ask you this, right? Well, just do, do some vision here. Where do you see yourself? church. Well, what did God put you here to give and to build up with? What strength, what gift is it given? Right? And are you using it? Right? Are you using it? And if you're not, what would it look like to use it? Just practicals right here. Take notes, man. Like, what is my gift? What do I have to give? How can I give that? And listen, if you're at a spot where you're like, dude, I'm still trying to figure out my, if I have even, if even I have faith in God, amen, dream about it. Let's work on that. But you can still dream, man. What? What has God brought me around for? Because there's a reason. I want us to consider that. And then last week we brought up Ephesians 4 11, right, where it talks about that. To, God has given the church uh, evangelists, prophets, teachers, man, to edify and to build up the church. Something we talked about in the men's midweek last Wednesday is to really consider the culture that we're in and what we're doing to not only build the culture, but pursue it. Right? I want us to all consider, let's just dream here today, right? As we listen to the as we listen to the communion and the testimony, dream. What, what do I have to give? What has God brought me here to give? How would my life, how would this church look differently if I was giving that? Right? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we're grateful for you. God, as, we, as we zoom in on the on the gospel commission, on the great commission that we see and we learn from the way Peter did this, right? He showed that we each have an individual responsibility here to respond to the cross. And I pray that you build in our hearts the spirit to respond. God, that whatever we do here in this church, as we, as we build, as we commit to this discipleship culture, God, that we do it by the power of your spirit, and we do it on the foundation of your gospel. God, please help us in this pursuit. God, we love you and we're grateful for you, God. We need your help so much. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.